Good evening, and welcome to episode 59 of The Winning Agenda. Tonight our panellists include... 2014 World's National, 2014 <laughs> Australian National Champion and 2014 World's Top 16 competitor Jesse Marshall. Hello, and two-time netrunner World Champion Dan Dargenio. How you doing, Dan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we, uh, we, we were going to have a fanfare, but it's very late here, and I didn't want to wake up anyone in my apartment building. What's up? So. What's up? Back guys? to back. Two in a row. Yeah, two in a row. That's fantastic. And like I've been saying, like everywhere I can online that how um, important I think it is that we have consistently good players in those top-tier tournaments. And I think, well, how many people was it? Was it four? We had three, four three in the top four, four who were top eight last was, year, right? Yeah, it was three in the top yeah. four. I think, it was four. I think it was four in the top 16. It was yeah. me, 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 Timmy, Min, and Dave. No, so it's really great, obviously. I mean, we don't need to talk about how great it is and, and how like uh, stoked we are for you. But you disappeared for like a month and a half there, right? When did you figure out that the decks you took were the right decks to go with? Did you just wake up in the middle of the night and be like, ah, DLR Valencia, that's what's going to happen. That's going to win me worlds. So So take us through it, man. When you say I disappeared for a month and a half or whatever, you mean from September, like the last month and a half, right? Oh, something like that. Yeah, maybe. Probably longer. I don't know. Well, I didn't actually disappear. I just stopped uploading the videos to YouTube from my Twitch account. I was still streaming. I just stopped putting them on YouTube. I just, um, I was trying to be like a little a little bit more on the down low like so that way like not everybody who watches the youtube account would see everything i still yeah. i still was streaming a little bit i don't know did you guys watch the side games i mean i hosted a, a goddamn invitational tournament like three weeks before worlds yeah which is which is gas well it was it was at least shorter than the store champions invitational anyway when did i think fi- i'm writing i'm writing a world's report and like so far i'm three thousand words deep and i haven't even gotten to the part where i got to minnesota <laughs> yet most of it was mostly because it's about like how much how many times i switched decks which was a lot like I, really. I couldn't decide a deck for a long time so yeah i'll walk you through the process real quick um yeah. so i was playing i was playing max and i was playing rp in regional season then we had our ANRBC. Which, which which build of Max? Sorry, just to the reg, the regular reg ass Max. You know, like with sweet red with clone, yep. chi- clone chips. I was I was like forty seven and three with that in tournaments. So that deck was really really good. But then everybody started playing two CVS and everything, and CVS is really good against that deck because you're pretty much like all in on medium in the late game. So mm. every CVS they have installed just like makes the game like 10% less in your favor. Anyway, so I like I wanted to like get off of that, especially cuz team sponsorship had come out and like people were playing it and everything. It was like the meta was like team sponsorship NEH and team sponsorship HB. And it was not very good against either of them. Um, especially not compared to like the old matchups of those decks, like the old like the regular the NEH before that and HB before that. Um so anyway, I was like I wanted to come off of that deck. Um, I also wanted to call off of RP because there was like a huge amount of noise. So I went to I went to Andy that was tuned for like just fast advance with three bank jobs in it, um, and two mediums. And then I and on the other side I just played HB team sponsorship. I did badly in our mid Atlantic circuit. In fact, like everybody who you expect to win, we have tons of we have like we had like I don't know we had like five world's top sixteen players in the mid Atlantic circuit finals. None of us stopped. Mm. None, none of us stopped eight. <laughs> Like, it was it was just a weird tournament. The one the guy who won was Jonas. Jonas won with DLR Val. He invented the deck. He's the guy who built it. Jonas was like sort of like an out of nowhere player. Like he was he played last year, but like he wasn't good. 
And then he started, according to like Jesse, like he just like started to like win, but he never stopped playing jank. He just like started winning with it. He got top, yeah. he, he actually beat me in the top eight affiliate regionals with a siphon mechs. So anyway, so he wins with this deck. So like, I'm not happy with these decks. So I'll go back. I'm like, all right, I got to figure out decks for worlds. Max, Max Brown built, um, built a Harpers Accord kill deck. That was like 24-7 Harpsichord kill. Mm. Um, if you haven't seen that deck yet, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure most of you probably... I've seen it kicking around, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So for our, for our listeners' benefit, it's using breaking news and 24-7 news cycle to give people tags and kill them? Yes, that's, without, that's, that's Essentially without having to interact with a trace or right, that's, a successful run. That's the gist of it. Also, on top of it, because you're Harpsichord, you can win a scoring race without having any scoring cards at all, because you just can install two agendas at once. So that really, oh, yeah. so that really helps. The, the fact that you can like dedicate like all of your deck to this kill package and then still have a robust scoring plan is a really big deal. Anyway, so I started playing that. And it was just, it was just winning a lot. And I was playing that on stream. And like, as I was playing that deck, I was getting more and more hyped about it. It was killing more and more people. People started putting more plasquits in their deck and it wasn't enough. I was still killing them. The Brits, and, the, and they just told me, but the Brits apparently were doing testing on the plane of like Kate, Kate versus Harp. And like, they were, they had like all their tech cards in and they were saying, we really hope nobody plays this. They ended up like, <laughs> they all ended up winning like, I don't know, like 33 out of 78 or something they said in their testing games of Cape versus Harp, despite the fact that there were two Plaskrits in the deck. I mean, that's how powerful mm. that deck is. It's just yeah. so, it's so deep all in on that. Kill, kill. So why didn't you go with that? Okay, so here's what happened. So like, I knew that everybody was, everybody knew that I was, I was talking about bringing that deck for the most part. Um, so I played in the Icebreaker tournament before Worlds, mostly just because I wanted to collect some free Lotus Fields because they're 80 bucks a pop. I wanted to Send us one if you get the chance. No, I, I already sold them. (laughs) 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 I mean, like, I just, so I brought my, the decks I was going to play for Worlds, which are also the decks that I was going to play in King and Servers, in King of Servers, um, which is the ANRPC team event. And I played three rounds before I got two Lotus Fields and was satisfied with that. Didn't want to wait until the end to get the third one. Anyway, I went one and two with Harpsichord, and both of the games that I, I beat, I beat Chris Hinks one game by tricking him into running a Shattered Remains. Um, I was very proud of myself. It was a really good trick, and you, you love you love tricking the signature trap guy into running your <laughs> trap. But but the other two games I played against Anarchs, I think uh, one against Val and one against Noise, and both of them had two Plaskrits and three I've had worse in their decks. And I was just like, you know what, fuck this shit. If if Anarchs are going to be putting Plaskrits in the decks, I don't want to be anywhere near this anymore. Yeah, that's yeah, too, that's too yeah. much. Like I can beat criminals with Plaskrits easy. Kate with Plaskrits, I think I'm a favorite, a, like a slightly favorite coin flip. If an yeah. Anarch plays a Plaskrate and has an I've had worse in their hand, there's literally close to 0% chance I'm ever killing them in that game. Yeah, and you yeah. don't, you just don't want to go into a tournament where you feel like you're flat out losing to a significant portion of the field. Right, yeah. and I knew that this was like a possibility that people would just have like hate cards in, in decks that I didn't think they should have hate cards in. So I brought I brought HB Glacier as my audible deck, and as soon as I finished playing that tournament, I'm like, nope, not playing Arp anymore, we're done. Yeah. So tell us about this HB Glacier deck because it's sort of it's a really interesting twist on a deck that's been around for a long time, but there are a few new cards that really push it over the edge. I think Global Food Initiative is really at the core of that. Talk us through how that went for you. HB Glacier has been around since I guess just like like maybe January of last year, so about almost two years now. Um, it's it's it was originally Nord Runner's deck, I guess, and he called it the Red Coats. Um, the influence was like. 
three three Tollbooth, three Caduceus, three Jackson Howard, I think, in the original list. Um, but since then, you know, we've got Architects, so we don't have to waste influence on Caduceus anymore, which actually, with all this freed-up influence, now you can play Caprice in the deck, too, which is fantastic, because it gives you more, ga- more game against the decks that will just try and cap your own gain ton money. Um, maybe like, maybe that might be like a reasonable Kate strategy if they didn't, if you didn't have Caprice. Yeah. But you do, but now you do. So one thing that you, the first thing I think that you gained was Caprice when Architect came out. Architect sort of replaced your little sentry and gave you influence for Caprice. And is probably a lot better than Caduceus as well, <laughs> most of the time. It's, it's not, it's about as good as Caduceus. Okay. That's right. what I think anyway. So it's obviously better when it fires, and it's better in the sense that it can't be trashed, but it costs more, and the majority of games are just going to break either of them with Mimic. So it doesn't make too much of a difference. So you're, you're, you're paying one more for sometimes firing a slightly better subroutine. So the second thing you got in that deck was Global... Or, I'm sorry, Breaker Bay Grid. Breaker Bay Grid is the best card in the deck. It's really unfair. It's not fair. It's not Wolfie, fair. it's not fair. Talk us through what it helps you do. So it's not just your campaigns, it's also your upgrades, isn't it? That, that pushes that Correct. So, so you've yeah. got, I think, uh, six cards... Or, um, sorry. You've got 12 cards in your deck that you can res with Breaker Bay Grid. Uh, you've got one Cyberdex Virus Suite, which is great for, you know, surprise data sucker bridges since you're playing a lot of big ice in your deck. Even better when it costs zero. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it pretty much always is um, in that deck. You're, you're never, you're rarely playing three for it. Um, you've got Ash and Caprice, which, um, you know, that's just that's just a nice side benefit. You, you've got your scoring remote with your Ash and your Caprice in it. You've... You got Breaker Bray, you've usually got plenty of money to play the side game, and then hopefully, even if they win the side game, trace them out to be unable to trash Caprice, which mm. is pretty key, because, you know, it's sort of like it's sort of like HP's version of a Nisei token. And then, of course, you've got three Adonis and three Eve campaign. The most busted thing you can do is go turn one, Turing, Breaker Bay grade campaign, and... You're just you're just straight up off to the races. It's really hard to lose those games. I mean, like the card if on turn one, if you like, if you stick it on turn one in, in such a way like that, where you're gaining four or five credits on turn one, it's usually going to be worth about like thirteen credits. It's like a turn yeah. one thirteen. Yeah. Credit. It's like playing two celebrity gifts in one click. It's not fair. Yeah. yeah. And that's because the credits that you gain will allow you to better protect your campaign, which will then feed you more credits. Is that what you mean? Um. Yeah. I mean, like it's like a big tempo i mean no no i mean it's a big tempo play in addition to the fact that it will actually save you 13 credits on resing things like you're yeah. you'll play you'll play the game you res one eve campaign you res one adonis campaign you res an ash you res a caprice nisa you save 13 yeah. credits that's a yeah. lot yeah and yeah that you're right the, the tempo thing is a big deal you'll actually like you're actually much more happy to trash your campaigns when you get a scoring window because you have Breaker Bay Grid, because you know that, like, on the turn after, you, you know, let's say I have a, a beta test I want to score. I can go install Advanced Vitruvius, trashing an Eve campaign with six on it. Next turn, Advanced Advanced Beta Test, don't run it, and then just put another campaign down. And it's like, you didn't miss out on anything because you, you didn't pay the res cost. So as long as you can, like, keep your campaigns going, you know, you can be very flexible with how you, how you um, when you trash them and, you know, replacing them and stuff like that. So there are a few sort of flexible slots in the deck, I guess. Um, were you playing team sponsorships in your lists? No, team sponsorship is bad in Glacier because you only want to score three times. Archive Memories is a lot better. Um, especially because Arch- the, the thing that you want to recur the most is Ash and Caprice, which is the thing that enables you to score. So if you're, if you're triggering your recursion off scoring 
It's sort of backwards. You want your recursion to enable yeah. your scoring. Um, so yeah, team sponsorship is a no go. Um, also, you don't really have a server for it usually. So the other the other thing that some people were playing was one or more biotics to allow them to have the fast advance option as well. Was that uh, something you considered? Um, it's something that's been around forever. Like it's been it's been that's that's a question as old as HP Glacier Deck itself is. Do you play a biotic? Like there's two ma- there's two main benefits. It lets you score out a three two from your hands and the game, which ends the game a little quicker. Um, and it definitely helps you if they are camping your remote. And the second thing that it does is it allows you to make them think your five three isn't one. So like so like it looks like you don't have a five three and you're going for four scores and maybe they'll just like you know play like a more relaxed style and then you're on four points and then you have your one advance agenda and you just go buy out a four advance four advance your five three and win the game and they're like oh I guess that happened yeah um I don't like biotic labor much in glacier decks and I doubly don't like it in the current list that I'm playing because of two caprice when you have two caprice. Uh, as opposed to one, which is an option. But, but when you have two Caprice, your remote server is, like, really, really absurd. So I don't think you need to do anything tricky to score. Like, the last agenda that you score is rarely difficult to score. And, um, all right, well, that's all really yeah, interesting insights. Good. I'm sure that lots of people out there who are tinkering with this sort of deck are, are really interested to hear your thoughts yeah, on that if, stuff. Yeah, so if you want to include a Biotic Labor, I would recommend trying it in a list with one Caprice if you want to try the two Biotic Labor. Oh, by the way, the final piece of the puzzle, which is maybe the most important piece that we've got, um, was we got Global Food Initiative for HB Glacier. And what Global Food it's it's like absurdly it's important. very good it's really yeah. absurdly important. so your agenda your agenda set up before was either two five threes and seven two pointers or four five threes and four two pointers now yeah. either either way if you play four five threes and four two pointers you're playing eight agendas that they have to score three have to win the game there's pretty much no chance that they're going to get three of the two pointers so i mean you're and then and then the other way it's like sort of 50 50 up in the air whether they yeah. are stealing your five three or not um, now you get to play nine agendas, which is the same as you used to play, but they 100% of the time have to score four agendas, which is eight points. You're like making your, making food, food doesn't just make itself much better. <laughs> it makes the entire deck much better against random accesses because yeah. it forces the runner to always have to score eight points. It, it it's changes the rules of the game, really. Yeah, so yeah. It, so it, not, it it takes your deck from down from twenty points to eighteen points if you play two global food initiative, and on top of it, it increases the number of points the runner has to get by one. So it's like a gigantic difference. Yeah, that's massive. Um, so global food initiative obviously made a big difference, and um, one of the I guess other questions that people are probably wondering about is your ice spread. So I think you were playing some itchy two point <laughs> You're playing some pretty large ice in there. You you gotta watch out. Yeah, you gotta watch out for the tricky too. Tricky yeah. Two, yeah. Tr- Tricky 2.0 running up in your face. Oh, oh it's a card God. I've always really liked. Yeah, it's I, good. Yeah. Okay, so the way I worked out that ice route was when I first cobbled together the HB Glacier list, which was like, I don't know. I built I built my list like two months ago. Personally, I think the deck sort of built itself a little bit, so it's hard for me to like take credit for the, the food deck. I mean, I know like Ben Blum built a list pretty much entirely independent of me that like came out like five cards different. Um, so did so did the so did the, the UK guys. I think I think both of them only played one Caprice and they were playing Crisium Grid. I just went with two Caprice. 
which I think is better against King. Anyway, so yeah, so I was looking for Ice Suite. I was like, okay, three, three Eli, obviously, three Architect. I really, I really have been hot on EG 1.0. I love EG 1.0. Mm. Um, it forces That's one of one of Wilfrey, one of Wilfie's best friends, I think, for the duration of the game. <laughs> I mean, I I was playing in my regionals decks. I was playing two EG 1 and RP to trigger Batty off of, and that was really good. Two two EG 1, two Batty. Um, and, and it was just, it was really, really good for me in regional. So I was like, you know what, let's play three of this. So anyway, so there's three, there's three Eli. Um, I knew I wanted like some smattering of five, five or so code gates in addition to whatever Tollbooth's I had influence for. Um, Tollbooth being like one of the, if not the best big ice in the game. So I'm like, all right, so with two Caprice and two food, three Jackson, I have room for one Tollbooth. So one Tollbooth. Initially I had like two Turing, one IQ, two Enigma. I think, but the night before the tournament, I switched to three Turing because it's quite good against the DLR decks. Like in the, because against DLR decks, they they usually don't have Parasite, so you can just put it on HQ, and yeah. and their breaker suite is Faust David, so yeah. it's actually like it's actually way better at two strength than it is at five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and what were you? What did you have the IQ in there for? In particular. Um, IQ is not like a re- IQ is just like a really really good mid range ice like yeah it, it just doesn't efficiency. matter it doesn't matter yeah. what you pay for it it's always efficient and sometimes yeah. you sometimes you can go low on cards in hand and res it for way cheaper than you should have so IQ yeah. is like it's hard to say it's for anything other than it's good sure you know, but just then so, like, you, you what's, felt en- what's Enigma for it's for being good sure yeah, yeah. No, I've just um in terms of you felt that Turing went over the top of it. Obviously, because it had that additional utility against yeah, AI because breakers, you could yeah. put it because you could put it on HQ against Siphon Anarchs. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. So you had the the three Turing, and you kept the one Enigma. I have two Enigma. I, two I Enigma. actually had yeah. Three, two, yeah, I had two Enigma, one IQ, and I stopped the IQ out for the Turing. Right, sweet. So uh, you ended up with um well, well, a pretty me, even spread of ice in I terms mean, of the three types. Uh, no, 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 no. Well, that's what, this is this is what I'm getting to. All right, so most people, when they're building, they put in some number of either Wall of Static or Heimdall 1.0 to, to add a fourth barrier. And at the same time, Heimdall 1.0, if you're playing two Caprice Nisei, fills sort of the role of the second toll booth. Yeah. Um, it's like an eight-cost dice. Well, Heimdall 1.0 is a real piece of shit. I don't know if you guys know this, but it's a terrible card. Because when you res it for 8, they just click through it every time and take a brain damage. Because your deck isn't dealing them damage, so what do they care if they take a brain damage? It's not very relevant. On top of that, if they have a lady in play, it only taxes one lady counter if you're, if you're letting Yeah, it. if you're clicking through the other stuff, yeah. Yeah, like, so, so Heimdall isn't very good. Uh, Wall of Static is fine, but it's, you know, it's, it's one lady counter and no money. So I was like, okay, so EG 1.0 is good. Let's try EG 2.0. I'm like, well, let's go nuts. Let's put two EG 2.0 and see how it works out. Turns out if you res EG 2.0 against Noise, you win the game. That's the rule. Um, because the Trace 3, for the, like, so if, if you res EG 1.0 against Noise, they'll be like, okay, I'll click one program trash and then I'll click the Trace because I'm so low on money and you can trash my imp with one counter left on it or whatever in the early game. I'll be, I'll, I'll, you know, I click the Trace or I'll remove the tag on the last click. They'll save a click. With each 2.0, because they have to double click it, usually double clicking, if they're double clicking program trash, if the Trace is going to fire, they're, you're going to land a tag and it's going to be the end of their turn. You're going to trash their ASAPs and their, and their wild side. Yeah. Um, so, so, and and even if they have Faust in play, it's like it's like a whole five card hand to break with Faust. Most of the time, they don't have that. 
Anyway, yeah. so I so I really like Ichichu, and then on top of it, it's like I don't know, it's just very similar to an HB toll booth, honestly. Even if I click through it, um, it's taxing for a very similar amount to toll booth in this meta game. So I love Ichichu. Yeah, I, I um, had it in a HB mid range deck that I was playing earlier in the year, earlier in the year, and it was definitely one of my favorite cards. So it was I was excited to see it in your deck as well. It, it's super fu- it's super fun when you res Ichichu. Yeah, yeah. It's just like ah, it's so big. It's like it's like a Timmy moment. You know? Yeah, and it, it slips under the radar like a lot of people don't. Yeah. Play. So yeah, yeah, that's sweet. Well, I mean, I, but I, I I couldn't help myself. I was yelling about it all weekend. I'm like, watch out for my Ichi twos. I'm gonna get you. <laughs> <laughs> you better yeah. keep your clicks ready. <laughs> all right. So the and what about the, corp- the runner side? Yeah, I was just gonna say on the corp side. Sorry, Brian. Before we move on. Oh, last yeah, last thing before I move on. You'll notice that there's three barriers in it. It's just the three Eli's, and this is just the way I want to be playing corp right now against Kate. Lady is so good against almost every barrier that isn't in Wayland that rather than tax Lady counters, I'd rather rest zero to one barriers for the entire game and call it a day. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that makes sense. So, going back to the runner side, how did you end up on uh, DLR Valencia? Why was that the best deck? All right, so like I said, it won the Mid-Atlantic Circuit Finals, like almost the exact list that I played. This is Jonas' deck. This is not my deck. Um, Jonas is like the big unit 3000 on Stimhack, I think. So maybe you'll recognize him if you play on Octagon or if you hang out on Stimhack. But anyway, so, um, after he won that tournament, I'm like, okay, so clearly this is at least a little bit powerful. Let's try a bunch of DLR. And I played DLR Max. I played DLR Andy. I had friends trying out DLR Leela. And I was like, this DLR Val thing sounds stupid to me because <laughs> clearly, clearly your worst matchup is near a tub. There's no way that's not yeah. your, there's no way that's not mm. your worst matchup. Val sounds less consistent and slower than Andy and Max, who both have card draw abilities that would probably help you set up faster against those decks. So for like a month and a half, I was texting all these DLR decks. I was like, well, I can get Andy to like thirty percent against Niritha. Max seems a little worse. Max had this weird trouble with being unable to levy. But I think it was because I was playing Drug Dealer, and if I had just cart the Drug Dealer, it probably would have been a good deck, because Min basically did exactly that, and top, he, I think he, he went undefeated in the entire tournament with DLR Max. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I, I, I was like, fuck it, we'll try Jonas's deck. Um, so I played 20 games with this deck, like 10 of them against Nier Top, and I didn't lose a game. And I was like, guys, I'm 20 and 0 with this deck. <laughs> The two advantages that you get from Val is the resistance to all-seeing eye and blackmail. Is that the main advantages that you see? The ability to still pressure remotes. Yes. Yeah, so like but, co- but, because of blackmail, you can get into remotes, and because of all-seeing eye, you don't just... Okay, so oh, those sorry, are the two... Because of bad So those are the two obvious benefits. The not-obvious yeah. benefit, and this is the reason why Val is so good against Near Thumb, and I think probably best compared to all the rest of the runners who could be playing DLR packages, is that if you play one scrubber as Val... Then suddenly you're a wizard, and you can just trash all oh, of yeah. the remotes. Um, and that's such a big deal, like being able to trash all of your sub's things, because all of them are giant threats against you. Sand Sand's a huge threat, um, because, you know, faster, if they like score an Asher, they can win like with very little money. Um, mm. If they res a pad campaign, then it's very hard to keep their money down. And if they res a team sponsorship, then they just, you know... Then they just are off. If they want credit, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not. You don't want that happening. No. <laughs> so no. you want to. You want to. You want to be trashing everything. Yeah. No. No. And Jackson's obviously. And because the rest of your deck runs off cards rather than money, you are often going to have that bad pub left, even once you get into the remote. So that you've oh, got yeah. your scrub on your bad pub to be able to trash stuff because your icebreakers are running off either just David counters or cards in, in hand. Yeah. In, unless you're breaking toll booth or pop up window. Yeah. Pretty yeah. Much. 
Why did you just have to go with a turntable? You obviously don't need the memory. Was there just a particular matchup you worried you might need it? It's for an Aerithon. Um, just for Astro Counters? Yeah. yeah. So so one of the ways you can win in that matchup is by trashing all of their Sand Sands, and then they score one Astro, and then you deal out them a bunch of times, you play turntable, you're in archives, you turntable their Astro, and then you siphon them down while you're milling them. And they don't have enough money to play Biotic Labor anymore. They can't res the sand sand because you check all their remotes and then you just mill them out and they don't they can't score anymore they don't have a good way to score so turntable like enables that way of beating near the the other way you can beat an earth hub is just by sort of raising them on points um but that's a crapshoot and how did this deck perform compared to your co-op deck over the swiss rounds um not as well but i think I'm, I'm not as good at it i think this deck went this deck went seven and three and the corp deck went 11 and one this deck is very good don't get me wrong so you mentioned there was about five cards difference between you and um so what was the gentleman's name who ben jo- it was it was jonas no. oh no, jonas sorry jonas, jonas. Jonas's deck. um i'm not even sure so, all right so well jonas- i, I want to say last time we spoke which was quite a while ago now you were talking about how you really enjoyed queen's gambit in i think a max list did you was that your addition putting the two queen's gambit in oh no no jonas jonas well jonas is from my area so i mean yeah. like ever since i put the queen's gambit in max people have been putting queen's gambit in almost all the anarch decks because we realized it was good so sometimes it's actually okay to check in the queen's gambit like it's still three quarters of a day job and then it also it'll also check for you like there's some value in checking that you get additionally check queen's gambit is perfectly fine i wouldn't be afraid to that especially if it's i mean like if it's a free server if it against way against wayland it's sometimes a little bit difficult to do that sort of thing but it's rare i mean like think about like against any age it's usually pretty easy to to check Queen's Gambit, and if you weren't going to check, you usually get wrecked by a never-advanced Astro anyway. And then against RP and HB, it's, like, trivially easy to find an upgrade to do it on. Against RP, they're, like, installing naked mental health clinics. Actually, I think it's best as RP now. I, whenever you play against an Anarch, it's pre-res your mental health clinics before you pass the turn. Because so they can't Queen's Gambit? Because so they can't Queen's Gambit it. Turn what were some of your other changes? Okay, so... I think I think um, Jonas had I think I might be at two cards off three cards off I think Jonas had one David one Corridor I cut the Corridor for a David I think Jonas did exactly the same thing jo- Jonas actually made most of these changes as well along with me um, but we cut the Corridor for the David um, so they're still they're both a response to a wraparound right yeah you can you can break wraparound just the same with David but if you play against um, if you play against Blue Sun uh, you'll be much happier to have the David or HB. Uh, yeah, or HP, exactly, yeah, yeah, because of turning on remote or yeah. curtain wall OAI. So D- David's, I think, a little, I mean, like, it's similar to Corroder against Rapperine, and it's just more flexible. Um, on top of that, I think he had one John Massonori and one Human First, both of which are, like, connections. The Human First, he said, was just terrible, and he was just, like, trying something out because he wanted more connections to put on off-campus apartment. Well, it was a piece of shit, so he got it. John Massonori, like, is sort of like a crappy drug dealer. Um, trouble is, is, as you get better and better at playing with this deck, you realize that running is usually bad in the beginning of the yeah. game. You just want to set up, and then even later in the game, you like people are like, when you pick up this deck, you're like, okay, mill four, run archives, mill four, run archives. Like, no, turns out the better way to do it is mill five, mill five, mill five, mill five, deck you. Because yeah. if you mill four, run archives, mill four, run archives, mill four, run archives, you basically are wasting a bunch of time. Like, there could be Jackson Howards. 
Um, if they Jackson out of their step back. Also, there's like this very large chance that they've just kept five agendas in their hand because they know yeah. they're just going to have to score, 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 score if they want to win. So yeah, Milf, so 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 you turn out to run less and less. John Massonori triggers less and less as you play this deck more. Interesting. Um, a lot of there was a lot of buzz around. I mean, people tend to respond to a deck becoming you know good or well known by saying that the cards were overpowered. Um, and this was no exception. People started saying that Wireless Net Pavilion should have been unique. Yada yada yada. Well. Well, that's not that's not a that's not an accident. That actually was in it, it was in the playtest file as unique, and they changed it right before they printed it. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I think no, the no, card no cut is very good, um, obviously in, in this sort of strategy. But I think there are a lot of answers to this strategy that people will work out once it becomes a little popular. What do you think? I, I think Wildest Death Pavilion should have been unique. Honestly, I not that this this deck is not unbeatable, but. It doesn't play Netrunner like you want to be playing Netrunner, I guess. It's like yeah. it, it has a very different vector of attack. And the fact that it's good enough to win world championships, I think, is maybe an issue. Um, yeah, I think Data Lake the... reversal and milling strategies generally feel uninteractive. And I think yeah. that. That's not magic... true. It is. It is... It is it's, an it's, interactive deck. You have it's to interactive play... on the most base levels of the game, right? Yeah, no, like... you have to you have to play Netrunner when you play against this deck. The trouble isn't that it's uninteractive. The trouble is that it's very different. It's not the game that you necessarily want to be playing. It's I think the same reason why a lot of people don't like playing against PE. Like they've got their deck set up, like they've got their rig, right? they got like security nexus. And you have to play it differently. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah you, like uh, suddenly all your cards are just HP. Like you're not gonna use those cards anymore. Now you just gotta yeah. guess. Now you just gotta guess which things are traps. Sorry, you know you don't get you. Don't get to, you don't get to play your game anymore. And 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 I think the other reason why I don't like keeping this deck around is because I have a dream that one day NBN Fast Events won't be good anymore. And if that's ever the case, that NBN Fast Events isn't good anymore, this is this is that's like the only sort of deck that really gives this deck any sort of hard time. If you're going slow, it becomes a lot more difficult. Unless unless you like splash double freelancer or something into your glacier deck. That's um, probably the one thing I don't like about this, um, and it's something that I haven't liked about Valencia Blackmail for a long time, is that I don't think remote servers, with the exception of the new food codes remote server, um, I don't think remote servers have been good enough in the game for a while, and I think this just makes remote server strategies worse and pushes corpse more towards fast advance. Which maybe, I- a, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I agree. I agree. I mean, I'm not going to agree that, that remote servers aren't good. I, I, I've i won Worlds twice now with remote server decks. Yeah, yeah. no, you're absolutely right. <laughs> by the way, I've, by the way, I've only dropped one Corp game at either Worlds. Oh, really? I, I went undefeated last year with Corp. This year I only lost one. That's bonkers, man. Yeah. Great Glacier Boys. That's where it's at. Uh, okay, we have a couple of questions from uh, panelist Hollis Echo via the power of the internet, which he has asked. Uh, he's asked live, even though he is not here. He first he asks, now that you've won back-to-back tournaments, it's pretty damn clear it's more than luck, as you stated in your post-tournament interview. You're quite good. Do you plan on playing less, or or are you still interested in the game? Um, I as then this is the same way I felt last year after I won. It's like. I don't really want to play less. What I want to do is I want to play. I want to play some more fun things, and I want to organize more. I really like organizing and making, you know, like running events, um, growing the competitive scene in that way. Um, I think it like it's a lot more rewarding than like say winning a store champs at this point or whatever. So yeah, yeah. Actually, what I what not I, what, that you're not going to not play in your store champs and get your alt art Jackson, surely. Exactly, and also <laughs> I got I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I got my 
my world champion apocalypse playmat. So now this this year, oh wow, so my staple it to your uh, one no, from last year. My 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 goal for this year is to wreck people with apocalypse. Oh, <laughs> Jess has been doing a bit of that lately, so that's good. Oh really? Awesome. I, built, I built an eater keyhole apocalypse deck that's actually quite serviceable. Out of max. Uh, oh, I can out of, imagine. Out of Val. Out of Val. It's DDoS blackmail eater keyhole apocalypse. Oh, Man. ouch. <laughs> that's sweet. that's deep. Like yeah. It. DDO, DDoS plus, plus Apocalypse is actually ridiculous. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's insane. So, um, aside from your uh, sort of side projects in Netrunner, um, what other community initiatives do you think you're going to be working on throughout the next year? Well, um, the first thing I want to do is I want to start a Patreon for Stimhack. Anthony Giannavanetti, also known as Sneaky Sly, has been paying out of pocket for Stimhack for its entire existence, and it's actually pretty expensive to keep going. We've got a bunch of swag, so we've got like we've got a bunch of stuff in the swag vaults. So we, we what wanna, have you got? We wanna, well, we've got a lot of ANRPC promos, basically, and cool. we want to we want to start, and, and we've also got somebody you know makes shirts. World's backpack in there. No, there's no backpack this year. Actually, no backpack this year. I was gonna ask you about that. No, how did you feel not getting a backpack? They replaced the backpack with a Caprice Nice, um, like two foot by two foot print of the art. Wow. So, but but how did you feel? How did you feel getting a useful prize instead of a useless prize? You're calling. You're calling a, a, a. You're calling an art print useful. As opposed to a backpack a that backpack. you could carry things The backpack in. is way more useful. That's I don't true. give a single no, shit about either of them, but at least the backpack does something. <laughs> 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 you have to adorn your home. They're both useful in the sense you can sell them on the internet. Well, thanks for coming on, Dan. Um, you're going to stick around. We'll chat about worlds continuing, our worlds discussion uh, for next week's episode as well. So thanks for coming on and uh, braving the time zone issue. And you're a bit under the weather too. You, you told me Timmy Wong. Uh, you told me in confidence Timmy Wong uh, got you sick. Yeah, I think Timmy so. Wong got quite a few people sick. Yeah, yeah. Did the old spit on the hand before the handshake yeah, trick? Probably. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, it's biological it's warfare. Mad strat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, as regular, if you want to get in contact with us, you can do so at thewinningagenda@gmail.com. You can tweet us at winningagenda, or you can check out our Facebook page, The Winning Agenda. So until next week, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you soon. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye.